it's, uh, it's been decided for this class that this class needs somebody more intelligent, intellectual, knowledgeable than the previous teacher. But they couldn't find that person, so they got me. No. <laughs> uh, seriously tonight, Terry's not able to be here. Christian's in a children's hospital. They're trying to get some medicines regulated and things of that nature. And so uh, I'm going to be filling in for him uh, tonight. And uh, he is planning on continuing uh, next uh, Wednesday night, Lord willing. And uh, I thought at first I was going to be teaching the primetimer class on Sunday morning, but he has insisted that he's going to continue to do that. So uh, anyhow, just remember them in your prayers. It's good to be here tonight. I'm glad to see all of you here tonight as well. Uh, it's always a joy to assemble, uh, to study God's Word, and we are truly thankful that you're here tonight. Uh, I don't know if you have any announcements that you need to make. I know we've got some of the men in here tonight from the men's class. Uh, Brother Robert Allen's dad is at the point of death, and uh, they're really surprised he's still here, but they really don't think he's going to make it through tonight. So uh, he's 85 years old, and so please remember uh, his family in your prayers. See Jim walking in. Martha Ann had some extensive shoulder surgery today, and so uh, she's home tonight. I thought she might want you to stay with her tonight, Jim. She'd kick you out, huh? Rachel's with her. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, let's begin with a prayer before we begin our study tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful and thankful to be able to assemble like we are tonight to study your word. We're so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, that we have the privilege and the opportunity to study and to learn what you would have us to be and to do. And we pray that you'll bless this class tonight, that we can glean some things that will be helpful to us and that will encourage us as we live the Christian life that we might be more faithful to you. Father, we are aware of many that are sick, those that are dealing with physical illnesses and also mental illnesses. And we pray, Father, that you would bless all those that we know of who need our prayers tonight. We depend on you for everything, and we pray that uh, we'll never get to the point where we fail to acknowledge how much we need you. Most of all, Father, we're thankful for Jesus who gave his life on the cross for our sins. And it's his name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to continue our study uh, tonight in Acts chapter 1. And I do have a PowerPoint, by the way, but there's one thing you will not find on this PowerPoint tonight. You will not find one single solitary map. Sorry. You're not going to find any pictures of any archaeological finds. I just, that's just not going to happen tonight. Sorry about that as well. Uh, I love uh, Brother Terry Edwards' class. I really love him a lot. I, I think he's one of the most talented teachers that I've ever had the privilege of hearing. And uh, whenever he stands before us and teaches class, we're very blessed because we are getting a college level type class. And uh, Brother Edwards, through his experiences overseas and his studies, has, has done some things that uh, allow us to be blessed by sitting under his feet and hearing the things that he has to teach us. And so my goal is to kind of uh, fill in tonight and kind of lead us hopefully up to Acts chapter 2. Of course, I'm going to begin around in verse 4 
uh, tonight of Acts chapter 1. Of course, during the days uh, following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus appeared to his apostles on several occasions. And we know that. And by the way, you folks, you got some comments, please speak up. Uh, interrupt whatever you want to do. But Jesus made several different appearances to uh, his uh, apostles and to others. One of these is mentioned in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. And the Bible there says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. Now, of course, we know the Lord may have eaten with his uh, apostles at that particular time. In fact, if you have an American Standard uh, version tonight, in the margin of that, it will probably suggest that. And certainly we do know that after his resurrection, our Lord did eat with his disciples following the resurrection. I wanted to look at one particular incident over in uh, Luke chapter 24. I hope y'all can read that okay. Uh, can you read in the back? Is it? There's nothing I can do about it if you can't. But anyhow, uh, uh, there it is. Let's read uh, this particular account. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself uh, stood among them. Uh, you know, that's amazing to think about. Here he is. He just appeared before them. He said, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy... And were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Notice here they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Anything stand out to you all about that particular passage? Anything that uh, makes an impression on your mind about Jesus and this particular incident? Anything stick out? All right, he was not a vegetarian. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Okay. But I noticed uh, he had broiled fish. I won't mind fried, you know. So uh, uh, that's okay, though. They probably didn't have the uh, batter or anything. That's right. He ate. He had to go through the normal process of eating and digestion of flesh and bones. You know, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. Somebody else had their hand raised. That's exactly right. That's the proof that they ought to have accepted that no matter what your mind says, this is the one. That's a very good point. In fact, that's uh, what uh, doubting Thomas. Thomas had to uh, be shown. He said, I won't believe unless I see, unless I'm able to put my finger into the nail print of a hand and thrust my hand into his side. And we know a week later, you know, the Lord appeared to him again. And he said, Thomas, don't be faithless, but believing. 
And so another incident, Peter uh, told those who were assembled at the household of Cornelius. You'll recall that particular uh, story. Jesus ate and drank with certain witnesses, Peter said, following being raised from the dead. And so here we have uh, Jesus and some time that he spent with his followers after he arose from the dead. But what really matters, here's what really matters about this. He instructed those apostles to remain in where? Jerusalem. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's significant, isn't it? You know, that's where the church was to begin. Jerusalem is, uh, uh, could be a subject of, of much uh, topic. Uh, we could talk about Jerusalem for quarters, actually, and all the significance of the prophecies and all. Okay. That's exactly right. Of course, uh, you know, they didn't believe really either, you know. Uh, they had trouble uh, believing. And so, anyhow, he instructed them to remain in Jerusalem until the Father's promise about which he had told them earlier, uh, the coming of the Comforter or the Helper. Uh, notice here in this next verse, uh, in this promise in John 14, verses 15 through 17, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And of course, we know from other passages that uh, the Holy Spirit was going to come and guide the apostles into what? All truth. He will bring all things to your remembrance. There's a miraculous aspect to this here. The apostles were going to be literally guided into all truth. He said, I will bring all things to your remembrance. I will guide you into all truth. Who's he talking to? The apostles. In other words, all truth that would ever be revealed was going to be revealed through those inspired men. And after that, there would be no other revelation from God. There would be no other truth from God that was going to be revealed. The apostles were promised that they would be given the ability to remember everything the Lord had taught them and all truth would be delivered unto them. And we're thankful that we are the recipients of that divine revelation uh, today. And so all the apostles had uh, been baptized uh, by John in water at their repentance. But Jesus told them before many days passed, they were going to be baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit. And we know as Acts chapter 2 uh, comes that uh, we're going to see exactly how that unfolds. Now, as we move on to uh, chapter 
1, verses 6 through 11, there's some questions here concerning the kingdom. And I just want to begin by reading uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, if you will. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What's he asking? What are they asking? What? They want a physical kingdom? What are the apostles, what are they really asking here? You know? Do what? They want the throne of David? All right, they're not talking about the things that, you know, the Lord is concerned about. Jesus had made the statement, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom were of this world, I would have told you. And here we find the apostles still not getting it, do they? They still don't get things. Uh, They still don't understand the nature of the kingdom. And they had misunderstood the Lord's teachings all throughout his ministry. And now they're asking, Lord, is this the time when it's going to happen? You know, Israel was under Roman dominion, and they thought, surely now this is the time when Israel is going to be dominant once again in the world. It's going to become the dominant power once again. Of course, two had already asked, Lord... When you come into your kingdom, will you put me one on your right hand and the other on the left hand? You know, they were already kind of bickering and fussing uh, among themselves uh, as to who was the greatest. And Jesus said, you know, whosoever is the greatest among you, what? Let him be your servant. You know, if you want to be great, you serve. And Jesus, on several occasions, tried to impress that principle upon their minds. Remember the incident when he took the towel and washed the disciples' feet, and uh, the disciples were stunned at such actions by the Lord, and yet Jesus was teaching them a lesson. Uh, If you're going to be great in the kingdom, you've got to learn to serve other people. That's the true definition of greatness, serving God and serving other people. But Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you... Now, who's the you here? Keep it, who's the you here? The apostles. All right. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight... And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You know, think about children for just a minute. You know, concepts that uh, are developed in childhood are sometimes difficult to change, aren't they? You know, a child develops a concept about something. It's difficult to change. And certainly that was true in the case of the apostles, you know, regarding the kingdom that Jesus had said he was going to establish. They just could not get it out of their minds that this wasn't going to be an earthly kingdom. They just knew it was going to be an earthly kingdom and that somehow with the leadership of the Lord after he arose from the dead, that he was going to uh, lead them in the conquering of all the nations. And so, you know, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Well, the Lord told them 
that only the Lord knows, the Father knows, the precise timing of the events He has planned. Now that, of course, would include the establishment of the kingdom and the end of time. Now, Matthew uh, 24 is a a very interesting chapter. Uh, We could spend a lot of time talking about that. Of course, here we see, again, a misunderstanding in regard to uh, what the disciples were thinking about and what they were focused on. Uh, You know, the temple and all the wonders around it were just magnificent. And what did Jesus say? All this will be destroyed. Temple will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days, you know and so forth. And of course, we remember uh, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus answers two specific questions. Now, whether the apostles meant two questions is another discussion, but Jesus answered two questions. What, when shall these things be, the destruction of the temple and all these magnificent things, and what shall be the sign of your coming? And Jesus answered that. You know, he said, all these things will take place in this generation. This generation will not pass till all these things come to pass. Then he switched gears, right? But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. And then he goes in to talking about uh, what's going to happen at the end of the earth when the Lord comes back. And so uh, the Lord told his apostles that only the fathers knows the precise timing of all these things. And certainly while the apostles could not know God's timetable, It was important for the apostles to know that they were going to receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then they were going to take their witness into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. It's going to be in an ever-widening circle. Now, look at the part here where Jesus ascends to heaven. And, you know, the Lord gave these final instructions. And uh, Jesus began to bless the apostles and you know, it would be something to, to be able to see this in person on this occasion, right? To, to have a video of, you know, the farewell here that Jesus gave his apostles before he ascended back to his father. And at that moment, Jesus was taken up into a cloud. And, and what a magnificent, amazing sight that must have been. Uh, this is the fulfillment of the Lord's own prediction when he asked his disciples... Uh, what then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? John chapter 6 and verse 62. Now, before Jesus came to this earth, where was Jesus before he came? He was with his Father in heaven. And the apostles saw him begin his ascent back to the throne. And you can just imagine... In your mind's eye, the apostles there standing, their mouths gaping open. They're looking up into the clouds and looking and looking and looking where they had last seen the Savior. You know, I kind of picture it like one of those helium balloons, you know. You watch it as long as you can, don't you? But just soon it, it becomes impossible to see. I don't know if it was something like that or not. But uh, they gazed up into the clouds where they had seen the Savior And while they were looking, while they were gazing, uh, two men in white clothing stood by and told them that Jesus would come again in the same manner that they had seen him go. Now, of course, Matthew describes the appearance of the angel who rolled away the stone. Remember, 
at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew's account says that his countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. That kind of sounds like this description, right? Uh, these two angels. It seems the two men in shining garments uh, are called angels. And it's very likely that these two men in Luke's account stood by the apostles or angels as well who appeared in the form of men. And uh, the statements of the angels in reference here to the Lord's return, this is something we need to take to heart, clearly indicate that when Jesus comes back, he's going to come back literally, visibly, and in his glorified body. Y'all see those uh, uh, bumper stickers? This car is empty, what? The rapture is taking place. You know, it's going to be some, something secretive. Well, that's not what the Bible says, you know. Just a simple passage like this does great damage to that kind of doctrine and that kind of teaching. When Jesus comes back, he's going to be visible to everyone. In fact, other scriptures talk about how every eye shall see him, even those that pierced him. And all nations of the earth shall well be cause of him. Uh, we know that at the trump, at the last sound, every one will come forth from the grave. They that, have been good, they that have done good to the resurrection of life. They that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Everyone will hear his voice and come forth. And so, uh, you know, this idea of some kind of secret rapture or things of that nature, uh, that's just not going to occur. He's going to come visibly. He's going to come and his glorified body, and he's going to come literally. And uh, that's something that uh, we look forward to with anticipation. All right, time is getting away, and I've got to cover uh, some of this uh, material here. Uh, Let's look at uh, praying here in Jerusalem. Now, the Lord gave instructions. Those who uh, saw Jesus ascend went into the city of Jerusalem, and they went to an upper room. Now, in his previous writing to Theophilus, uh, Luke said that their return to the city was a joyful one. You might think they might be upset, right? Their Lord and Master had just ascended, but Luke seems to indicate this was a joyful journey. What, why do you think they were joyful? They seemed to be positive. They seemed to be happy. They didn't seem to be down and discouraged on the way to Jerusalem. Why? Anticipation of the Spirit, yes. Anybody else? Any other reason? But now, now they're starting to get it a little bit. Now the one whom they thought was dead, the one whom they fled from because they had come to arrest him, you know, now they had seen him ascend back to his father. 
And I think they rejoiced because Jesus, their Lord and Savior, was alive. He wasn't a dead Savior. He was very much alive. And that just simply meant that everything the Lord said He would do had been verified. It was true. Everything was true. What the Lord said uh, would, in fact, come to pass. And that provided great hope for these apostles. And as they went to Jerusalem, anticipating the promise that Jesus had given them, they were happy, they were joyful, they were positive. It wasn't a gloom and doom type of atmosphere, you know, that all is lost now. Our Lord and Master has left us. No, He's gone to His Father. Of course, in John 14, verse 6, what did He tell them? I think they remember that as well. If I go to prepare a place for you, what am I going to do? I'm going to come and receive you unto myself. And so they recognized those things. Now, uh, he also reported uh, about these same uh, apostles that they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. If you look at Luke 24, verses 50 through 53, the Bible says he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. I think that's important for us to understand. Great joy. You know, there's peace in their heart. There's an understanding of the reality of the situation here. They know that things are going to be okay after all, you know. And uh, they were continually in the temple blessing God. And certainly, I think that made an impact as well on the people as they waited. And so, clearly, the time of sorrow following the crucifixion was over. You know, they had been heartbroken. Uh, They had run for fear of their own lives, but that was over. And the apostles realized that the events they had witnessed was a reason for rejoicing. And so here we find the eleven and Mary and the Lord's mother and his half-brothers and some other unidentified disciples. They were constantly found in prayer as they awaited the promise of the Holy Spirit. If you look at the text of Acts chapter 1 here, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Notice here that they were together on things. They were confident about what was happening They devoted themselves to prayer. They were waiting for the promise that Jesus said was going to come. And then I want to mention here about Matthias. Uh, Matthias was chosen to take uh, the place of Judas. And sometimes, sometime during this particular period uh, of waiting, uh, Peter addressed a group, I guess, of about 120 Disciples in reference to this office that was formerly uh, held by Judas. Uh, Judas had to be replaced. Uh, someone might say, well, why did they even replace him? Well, he had to be replaced. He had to be numbered with them. He had had a part in the ministry the Lord had given to the apostles. 
And, of course, you know, this entire assembly of 120, uh, I think, would have been well acquainted with the uh, facts surrounding Judas's death. They would have known exactly what had transpired, and uh, they would have known the facts surrounding the purchase of the field of blood. And uh, having realized uh, what... Uh, Judas had done, we know that Judas took the 30 pieces of silver down to the temple and uh, he hanged himself. He hanged himself. That's very sad. Uh, uh, Judas, like Peter, could have repented, could he not? Could he have repented? Yes, but he chose not to. And from what Luke further reports, we conclude that, you know, either uh, the branch he used to hang himself on or the rope itself broke and Judas's body fell and burst open. Now, we know the chief priest, uh, their reaction to receiving this money, they did not feel that blood money uh, should be placed into the temple treasury, and so they purchased a field to bury strangers. And look at the account here in verses 15 through 19. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle And all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akaladama, which is interpreted the field of blood. And so uh, this was something that was well known. Now, Peter is going to quote from the Psalms. He's going to quote from Psalms chapter 69 and verse 25, also from Psalms chapter 109. And verse 8, and uh, Peter reported here that the Holy Spirit, through David, had said that the, in, that the habitation of Judas uh, would become desolate, and another would be chosen to take his office. If you look at verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, uh, the two I just gave you, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. And so... Peter's making it clear here, this is, this is prophecy here. This has to happen. This has to occur. And so uh, Peter set forth certain qualifications necessary uh, to, uh, w- for one to be chosen to take the office of an apostle. You know, we can't just select anybody. And, of course, we can make the same point about elders and church leaders as well. There has to be certain qualifications uh, if you look at verses uh, 21, uh, well, let's, we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, let's look at some of these qualifications. Let's read uh, 21 and uh, 22 real quick. So one of the men who have accompanied us, notice it now, during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John... Until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Okay? And they put forward to Joseph called uh, Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And 
they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Notice the decision was Judas's. He made the decision himself. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And so uh, here Peter set forth some guidelines. And here's some of the guidelines here. First of all, he had to have been with the Lord from the time of his baptism uh, from John all the way to the ascension. And uh, he would especially need to be able to stand forth as a witness uh, of the resurrection. And, of course, we know these two men were selected. And I want to make this point uh, as we conclude here, and I think it's a point that needs to be made. Uh, Barnabas, surnamed Justice, and Matthias, these were the two individuals. And notice here how they approached this. They addressed a prayer to the one who knows hearts. He knows. He knows. That's the key there. God knows the hearts. I don't know the hearts, do you? Now, I might appear to be able to figure some things out, but I don't know your heart. I don't know what you're thinking exactly. I don't know what your motivations are. And, uh, you know, Jesus could do some things that I cannot do today. You know, Jesus could make a judgment of somebody's character. I cannot. Now, for example, you know, this idea of judging, I might say about somebody, you know, they sure are have a, having a problem drinking. I'm not judging in that sense. You know he's having a problem drinking, right? But I'm judging when I say, well, you know, he's not even trying to quit. That's judging, right, when I judge someone's motivation for something. Uh, you know, so-and-so hasn't been coming to church like they should. You know, so-and-so, you know, they just don't care about church, it seems. Well, that's judging, right? Now, I'm not judging if I make a, a correct statement, an observation, but when I begin to try to assign motives to an individual, that's when I get into the judging business, and that's the kind of thing I need to avoid. And, of course, they prayed to the one who knows the hearts, and that ought to kind of grab our attention here. Lord knows your heart. Lord knows my heart. He knows exactly how we are. He knows what our motivations are. Uh, he knows exactly, you know, if we're faithful to Him and truly trying to serve Him. He knows the hearts, and I think that's a key there. They acknowledge their own ability, inability to see the inward thoughts of others. They could make this decision on their own. And their prayer, I think, was also uh, a means of expressing complete dependence upon God for making a correct decision. You know, this wasn't just a luck of the draw here, okay? You know, some point, some people actually try to justify gambling by using this kind of an example. That's ridiculous, you know. Uh, this wasn't a matter of chance at all, not in any way whatsoever. Uh, this is the way that God made this particular choice. It was God that did it. It was God that made the selection. And they prayed to the one that knew the hearts, and they prayed to the one that they depended upon. And they asked the ruler of the universe here to guide the selection process so that the right man 
ultimately would be chosen. Was it important that they select the right man? Wouldn't the other guy be just about as good? Hmm? Well, maybe not according to God. Don't you think the other guy was pretty decent? You know, I think he was, uh, I think he was a good guy. You know, go ahead. Okay. Exactly right. It's easy for us to allow our own personal feelings get in the way sometimes, isn't it? Rather than maybe what's good for the cause of Christ. We've got to be willing to put aside, you know, personal preferences and desires and, you know, ask what is good for the Lord's church? What's good for the Lord's people? Uh, how can the kingdom of God uh, be more blessed by a particular decision? It's difficult sometimes. And uh, this can happen. Well, the Bible says here, and they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And that basically is how chapter 1 ends. Now there are twelve apostles. Uh, The apostles are waiting in the city of Jerusalem. They are waiting the promise of the helper, the comforter that was to come in the form of the Holy Spirit who was going to come and guide them into all truth, bring all things to their remembrance. Somebody, let me get your comment. How important is it that the apostles be baptized with the Holy Spirit? What's the significance of that? All right, it's going to give them the authority to... To speak for God? Okay. Definitely. Are they going to have a means to prove and verify that what they're saying is from God? How are they going to prove it? Are they going to say, turn in your Bibles to so-and-so? No. How do they prove it? Signs and wonders and miracles. That's how they're going to prove it. Jesus told that them that in Mark chapter 16, right? These signs shall follow them that believe. Then it lists several things that they would be able to do. And the Bible says they went forth preaching the word, confirming the word with these signs following. What was the purpose of miracles? Of course, this is a side subject. The purpose of miracles was to confirm the word. So once the purpose of miracles has subsided, do you need them anymore? Of course not. It's kind of like scaffolding you put on a house. When you build a house and, you know, the house is completed, how foolish would you look to leave the scaffolding up along the side? You'd look kind of foolish, right? Uh, The house is complete. You don't need the scaffolding anymore. The scaffolding, uh, we might say, was the miracles, Uh, It was something that helped to verify and prove that the Word of God was in fact true. And once we all come to the unity of the faith, once the Word of God has been completely revealed and confirmed, there's no longer any need for it. Uh, You think about the establishment and the nature of the Lord's kingdom as well. Uh, That's something very interesting about what's about to happen. 
as uh, I'm sure Terry will touch on in Acts chapter 2. Let me think about this real quick uh, before the bell rings. How should the promise of the Lord's return affect you today in 2014? Now, you can imagine how it affected them. These angels told these apostles, this man whom you've seen go up in like manner, you're going to see come again in like manner. Does that make an impact on you and your life? Well, they're not going to be left to themselves. I love those words, helper, comforter. I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send a comforter. In other words, they rejoice. They're not left to their own devices here. You know, they're going to be helped. They are confident about what's going to transpire. And they were joyful because they knew what was going to happen. The Lord was going to come again. That ought to make me happy as well. You know, when we see all the problems we face in life, the difficulties that come our way, we see our world today in such a chaotic situation in many cases, uh, it's a source of comfort and joy to know that everything's going to be all right. Right? You know, Friday came, the Lord died, He bled, He breathed His last, but what happened? Sunday's coming, right? It's a day of rejoicing. The Lord overcame death, gave us the assurance that we'll overcome death as well. And uh, to me, that's a great source of comfort. That's a great source of joy. And, and I think that's how it ought to impact us today. When I read that in Acts chapter 1, it ought to make me happy. It ought to make me rejoice. It ought to help me as I deal with my everyday activities of life to know the Lord is coming again. And there is hope beyond what's happening around me. And I can make it through this day. And now, look at the importance of the prayer to the Lord here. The importance of this prayer they made to uh, God to help them through the selection process. And uh, certainly, I think that prayer played a vital role in the fact that uh, they were confident in their selection. There was no doubt in their minds, no doubt whatsoever, that uh, the one that was selected, Matthias, was the one that should be chosen. I don't think there was any discussion, any argumentation that followed it. Uh, this prayer to God, knowing that He would help them and uh, that He knew exactly what was best, through prayer they were able to, to solve this particular problem. Prayer solves problems for us today as well. Uh, prayer improves our relationship with God because it improves our communication with God. And when we are prayerful people, then we need to realize we're going to be stronger and things are going to be all right with us as well. All right, thank you for listening. And uh, next week, uh, hopefully Terry will be back and uh, he'll begin Acts chapter 2. I think, is that, that's Kim back there, isn't it? You tell him I'm ready for Acts chapter 2 then. That's what he told me to do.